Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Calling. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter at underscore NJ Watson. And today we're going to get feedback on four of your TV pilot teasers on this month's session of Paper Teas. As a reminder, Paper Teas is our regular segment where we review your TV teasers of eight pages or less, any format, any genre, and uh, give you our thoughts and feedback on them. So if you want to send your teaser or cold open into the podcast, you can do it at paperteam.co slash teaser. Absolutely. And as always, we begin with our Patreon subscribers dedicated Patreon slot, because if you are a Paper Team Patreon supporter, uh, then you get first dibs at getting feedback on your teasers. And lo and behold, this month is a very own JB June who's back with his own teaser. We know him and we love him. Absolutely. And on that note, let's uh, dig into his own uh, teaser, which is called Devotion by JB June. And in Devotion, we open on a sweaty Topher Paxton helping set up an on-camera TV interview with the show's grip. His father, Joel Paxton, the pastor of a megachurch, arrives ready for that remote interview with Rachel Maddow. His family, including wife Beth, daughter Sarah, and his son Topher, watch on from the wings of the stage. Maddow quickly begins to interrogate Joel about his legal donations to a presidential campaign, which he vehemently denies, but when she reveals that his son is a whistleblower, Joel stops the interview and collapses on the floor with a heart attack. Joel says he has been betrayed by his own son, Topher, and we abruptly cut to an uncertain future with his son, Topher, recording a scripted podcast episode about that event and his family's church. Hannah, the podcast producer, comments that it's a little melodramatic, and Topher tries to continue, but gets inside his own head and storms off, giving up. What did you think of Devotion? I mean, this is definitely an interesting idea, especially from the perspective of this kind of son caught up in this megachurch organization. And, and megachurches are inherently like a fascinating kind of topic to cover as well. So um, my main thoughts here are firstly that I wasn't entirely sure on the tone necessarily. I think there were points where it was quite comedic and, and jokey, and then there were other points where it was quite melodramatic and even dark at some points is a joke that's made about like child pornography, and that's really quite intense. So you're really kind of painting yourself into a HBO Adult Swim kind of space there. So I was a little unsure on the tone, and I just think that conceptually, I feel like there have been a few of this kind of thing done recently. There was, a, it was the Righteous Gemstones on HBO, and I even I've just kind of read a couple of scripts and, and pitches of this so I think, you know, you need to be careful about the way in which you approach it to make it original and interesting. Yeah, I had uh, similar thoughts. I agree with you in terms of the tone. I was uh, not quite sure whether it was a comedy, like a full-on comedy or drama, or if it was that HBO space you mentioned, the gemstones, which I feel like it would fall kind of in that line. I do like the idea of this kid uh, retelling in uh, sort of as an unreliable narrator this past, this traumatic event with his family and dealing with that. I think there's a lot there. I sort of had two thoughts about the execution. One is I felt like they or no clear through line perspective, especially if this is a show, at least the teaser is about Topher retelling this experience in a podcast. I really wanted the whole teaser to really hone in on his perspective. And we actually do start the teaser, in my mind, a really good place with Topher sweating and we sort of have things quite literally through his perspective for a moment. But then it kind of changes when uh, the dad enters the picture and then it sort of uh, veers into this third 
person perspective that doesn't really give us an idea of this is actually Topher's story, watching his dad and everything unraveling around him. And so I really wanted more of the Topher perspective there. The second thing is, and again, this might tie into what exactly is the tone and what exactly kind of show is it? Is this one hour, half hour? Uh, because I really feel like you could easily collapse the first maybe four or five pages into one uh, without really losing most of the point of the teaser. In fact, you could start off with uh, Joel Paxton in the interview and we see that whole thing through Topher's perspective uh, because I really feel there's a lot of production talk, especially the gaffer and like the different sort of really TV intricacies of the actual interview that I don't feel really added anything to the story or even the jokes or the humor to warrant so much time being spent on that. Yeah, I certainly don't think you need a, a full eight pages for a teaser, especially if this is a half hour comedy. That's a lot of real estate to be giving up and you want to make it condensed as impactful as possible. So I definitely agree there. Another thing that I think this teaser is doing that we often see with teasers is the whole gag of like making you think that it's one thing and then surprise, it's actually another thing. And sometimes that can work really well and sometimes it can distract from the read. And I think that in the circumstance for me, at least it did kind of distract from the read a little bit because as I was reading that scene where the father's collapsing with a heart attack, I was kind of thinking, this is kind of melodramatic. This is almost not great writing in this moment. And then, of course, you know, the next page, we understand that that's because, you know, it's Topher himself overriding the situation and being melodramatic. However, while I understand what JB's going for with that, I think you run the risk a little bit of people either missing that or, you know, an executive or an agent or whoever reading this getting to that page and being like, oh, I'm turned off by this script because it's not executing as well as I would hope. And it doesn't even get to the bit where it's like, surprise, it's meant to be melodramatic. Yeah. And especially if it is meant to be that sort of unreliable narrator type construct with Topher inaccurately retelling that traumatic event in a melodramatic way, I personally also would want a lot more of that unreliable narrator context much earlier, or at least seeding, whether it's the podcast thing or just the fact that there's some sort of extraneous context for why we're seeing this, as opposed to uh, letting the shoe drop at the end. And again, uh, if you are saving it as the button of it, then we really want to understand from the get-go that this is a really biased event that's being shown to us, which ties back to what I was saying earlier about the perspective of it, where if you actually hone down the perspective, then we are enjoying, regardless of the podcast angle, we are enjoying this perhaps ridiculous spectacle or melodramatic angle as is. And then the bottom of the podcast is, oh, actually, that makes even more sense now because I was enjoying it as this like comedic buffoonery, you know, melodramatic. But then it's actually, oh, I get what you're doing. Like, it's even better now because there's this podcast and this unreliable narrator storyline going on. Yeah, exactly. I think you want to push it even further, especially if this is a comedy. Uh, you want to really heighten that to truly melodramatic, comedic, ridiculous levels where the lights are falling down from the stage and, you know, people are running around like you really just want to push it as far as possible because a that's funnier and b you do get that contrast and you understand oh this is this young kid retelling the story and of course he's exaggerating and he's making it seem worse than it is and then in that case i think it's clear to people that it is not just you know you don't want it to live in that gray area where people are like is this just actual melodramatic writing from the writer or is this intentionally set up as a joke you want to like just lean very hard in one direction the last thing i wanted to say about this is that the ending i felt like could have been a bit stronger i, I do like the button and the 
the reveal that this is all him retelling it through a podcast, but then it kind of ends with a bit of a whimper. He just sort of like, oh, I'm in my head now, and he walks off, and that's it. I really want a big bang. I want to be thrown into the next scene. Like, I don't feel a sense of urgency here, and I don't feel a sense of the stakes anymore because we're now, like you said, at some indeterminate point in the future. So I don't know like what's at stake for Topher, uh, why he has to tell the story now, what's going to happen if he doesn't. You know, just like I need that sense of why now and what's going to happen next. Exactly. And I feel like in my mind, that's why I was pitching sort of a reconceptualization of the teaser where we get the sense that this is an unreliable narrator or podcasting scenario from the get go. And we were at least it unravels as we are watching the scene unravel. And then that way, the button is sort of like the duality of his dad collapsing and dying, but also sort of the reveal that, oh, this is actually what it's all for, as opposed to uh, sort of the podcast reveal as a reveal and that being the out, because like you said, I feel like dramatically speaking, emotionally speaking, even though it was melodramatic, you can't really top the death of a father. And then this is just like a guy walking away from a recorder. You know, it doesn't have the same emotional stake or value. Uh, did you have any micro notes on the page, Alex? I did, especially at the very top. Uh, I mentioned that we start seeing things from Topher's perspective, which I really enjoyed. I will say that if you are starting with no slug line, then we need to just have a couple of shots of the no slug line before moving to the slug line context, especially uh, as soon as it's more than a couple of shots and you, you go into descriptions of what I'm seeing and introduction of characters. I personally would prefer slug lines. So in this particular example, I feel like you can move most of this under the megachurch uh, slug line where it basically goes pre-slug line, uh, everything by the nervous eyes, etc. And then we go to, uh, you know, erratically reframe into M-dash, slug line, interior chapel, Paxton, megachurch day, M-dash, a medium shot set for TV interview with Topher, etc., etc. So that way you can split it off. It also carries some momentum with visual with the M-dash, but just the fact that we go from this very biased, very discreet shots of his eyes and blurry stuff to, oh, this is where physically this is all happening. And also from the perspective of Topher. Yeah, for sure. And I didn't have a lot on the page. I think for the most part, it was fairly well directed in terms of the scene description and everything. I did notice that there were a lot of parentheticals. There's a, a ton of directing, you know, how what the actors are saying in a scalding way or with uh, different things like that. And there's a ton of also just including like whispered. I think there's even like an entire conversation that the kids are having backstage between each other. I think you could just even put in the description, like they have a whispered conversation or whatever. Or they talk in hushed tones or whatever. And then that way you don't need to include whispered in every single parenthetical of their conversation because I think that gets a little bit distracting. All right. And on that note, what makes us want to read on versus not? I mean, I think it's what we touched on before. I think that like overall, this is an interesting concept and it's a world that, you know, can be explored in a, in a fascinating way. It's a matter of finding your original avenue into that. And I think that, you know, like you said, if you focus on the POV of Topher and getting into that, uh, that is an interesting way because this is this iconoclast from this family who helped to bring it down. That's fascinating to me. But uh, it really is all about ending it with a bang and making us feel why are we coming into this story right now with Topher? What's the urgency? What's the stakes? And why do we need to read on? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, I'm personally a big fan of that concept of unreliable narrator as a narrative device generally. So I feel like there's a lot of potential there. And like Nick said, just the fact that increasing that melodramatic angle to really heighten, not really the stakes because it's a flashback, but really heightening, you know, the joke or the humor or the context. I feel like there's a lot of opportunities there to really push this to another level while adding momentum essentially to the character, why Topher is there. Like, sort of the perspective of Topher living through those things uh, and us understanding that, oh, this is actually sort of a funny thing that 
Topher is still processing. And then we understand, oh, why is he still processing? Because of this event. And then we go into the podcast of it all. Again, there's a lot of possibilities. I do want more perspective. I do want a little bit more unreliable narrator angle. Uh, and I feel like it would be on the right track. Absolutely. Well, if you want to get an opportunity to be read out on the dedicated Paper Tees Patreon slot, you can do that by going to paperteam.co slash Patreon and uh, sponsoring the show to help us keep bringing great content to you and to have some awesome opportunities for yourself like this one. Excellent. And now let's go to our next teaser. All right. The next teaser we have is The Border by Vance Tucker. And in The Border, uh, one year after the completion of Trump's U.S. border wall, a news reporter declares that the war on drugs is over. The news reporter goes over the areas that were once crime infested and are now gentrified and peaceful. And we see supporters cheering for the wall's successes. Watching this report is police captain Leach, who is screening it to a mostly empty bullpen. Only a handful of police officers remain employed as most of the police force has been let go due to low crime. After the briefing, two of the officers, Mary Elena and John Mathis, share their disillusions about the police job. But while Mathis thinks that the wall was a huge success, Elena has the feeling that there's something big that they're missing. Uh, what are your thoughts on the border, Alex? Well, I mean, especially now, I feel there's a lot that we could talk about uh, on sort of like a meta level. But just for the teaser itself, I really feel like on the story level, just to really hone down on that, I was kind of waiting for a big reveal at the end, especially when presumably the whole teaser is almost setting up as a joke, this like magical reality where the wall fixed everything. There's no problem. It's very heightened in that way. And at the end, we have like one of the officers point out that actually, I feel like we're missing something. And I was expecting that, you know, a cut to what that thing was, uh, mm -hmm. whether it's, you know, Trump with a magic ball or aliens or anything, really. And it could be a big thing if it's like maybe a dramatic kind of show or if it's uh, or it could be a small thing. if It's like a comedy or something absurd. There's plenty of ways of going somewhere, but I just wanted to see what that somewhere was. Yeah, you're totally right. It all feels like a setup to a big joke. And then we don't get the joke at the end of the teaser. You know, I do think it is a really fun kind of concept. It's like, you know, obviously in real life, this whole wall thing is, is a ridiculous waste of money that's not going to solve any problems. So it's like, what if you did take the opposite of that? And what if it did magically solve all the problems? What would the world look like after that? And I think the idea of, you know, a comedy in this world is a really interesting perspective. So, um, you know, I think that's really cool. And all of the quick shots kind of just popping through and showing how the world has changed, I think really does help set up the world as well. So I thought that was well done. But like you said, I don't know. Just like in terms of the teaser, I almost felt like it could have ended on page three with the, you know, the the chief being like, "You're all dismissed." You know, now we understand that kind of stuff in the world. That whole conversation that takes place on page four just kind of like peters out. It doesn't feel like the ending of a teaser to me. Right. I mean, I, I feel like you could go either way. You know, you could even go slightly even earlier where you wouldn't end with the, the news report, even though I would probably hate that. But if you are pushing through the idea that there's actually a setup, then we want the punchline. We want that payoff in the teaser. I feel like that's probably the one thing we keep advocating in any teaser, especially a comedy type teaser, where if you are setting up for some kind of twist or reveal, we want that reveal. And it doesn't have to be a reveal that completely negates what the teaser has built, but uh, it still needs to be sort of a logic quote-unquote twist or reveal that adds to the teaser but also explains or you know sort of contextualize again what the show really is about i'm presuming obviously that the show is going to be about these police essentially border patrol police that are 
bored because they don't have much to do because American crime has been solved because of the wall. But either way, I just wanted that twist or that reveal for that punchline that was set up. And I feel like that's sort of the bigger piece that was missing for me. I will mention, though, in terms of the top part of the teaser, I also like the shots in the news reporter. I will mention the slight bump in terms of the exposition of it, where I wasn't clear why really the captain was showing this news report to police people who presumably would already know of what was happening. Obviously, it's a way to give exposition to us, the audience, but it, it felt a bit weird where why are we watching this with a captain? Like it, it, it didn't seem really like an active decision within that context. And I think like you said, it is maybe perhaps worth discussing at least in the broader strokes, the meta context of this, especially in uh, you know what's everything that's been happening today. I think the, to paint this as a comedy, you have to be very, very careful in the things that you're making fun of and making sure that you are punching up and not down. You know, We want this to be making fun of Trump and that ridiculous belief system of building a wall will solve all crime and, and, and that kind of thing. And we don't want it to be making fun or making light of immigrants or people from lower socioeconomic areas or you know people who are oppressed especially today but always i think that you really really just need to, to tread that delicately and, and make sure you know where your comedy is coming from and that you are helping add to the cultural conversation in terms of satire rather than uh, jumping on easy targets that could genuinely hurt people. Absolutely. And even on the cop side, obviously, there's been a lot of conversation and it's still happening. I'm sure we're going to do an episode at some point on that. Just the conversation of cops and uh, law enforcement officers as a perspective, as leads, as sort of the narrative drive for solving crimes and and what does that say about us as a society and, and all those issues? Now, obviously, this isn't CSI or whatever. This is clearly a comedy meant as a surreal kind of comedy, I would assume. But uh, nonetheless, it's something to be aware of, especially in the context where the leads are presumably these uh, police people and law enforcement officers and understanding the context in which they operate in that world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're never going to censor anyone and say that you can't tell a story about this or that. But you know, even comedies like Brooklyn Nine-Nine are now really having to reassess and take stock of like, how can we make light and, and humor out of a situation where there genuinely is rampant police brutality in America and in the world at large? And how do you kind of thread that line and still be a productive part of the conversation? So just keeping all of that in mind, I think you, you just want to be really careful. Yes. And uh, what makes us want to read on versus not? I mean, again, I think it's like we said before, I really want that punch of what is the thing that's missing? You know, you don't want to hold that back from people. You know, if there's something that they're missing, cut to that and show us what it is. Like the, the audience is allowed to know something that the characters don't. And I think that that's going to help draw us into that world and be like, here's the situation, but what's the story? Absolutely. And that whatever that cut to is, will really give an idea of what the show truly is. Because like I said uh, before, if you know we cut to Trump uh, with uh, the devil uh, behind him or whatever, like we get that it's like a sort of a fantastical comedy or whatever with the devil. But if it's something more subtle or more dramatic or more interesting or compelling or weird or however you want to take it, that will really define what the show is. And so that's an opportunity that you just cannot pass up because you've built all this tension for so many pages and the cut to moment to what that big thing is, even if the characters don't know it, but it's just for us as this dramatic irony kind of thing, or if it's just letting the audience into knowing what's going on, whatever the choice there is, I feel that's the massive opportunity that we're missing here that you need to act on. 
Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's also an opportunity to kind of double down on your concept and what makes this show unique. It's like, yes, you already have this interesting world, but not only is it a world where all serious crime has been solved by this wall, but then, bam, it's also a world in which all suburban grandmothers are now meth cooks or, you know, whatever it happens to be. Like, like you said, it's just a huge opportunity for a joke and you don't want to miss that. Breaking moms. <laughs> all right. And our next teaser is Where Blood Lies by Byron Chiao. And in Where Blood Lies, we are in Transylvania in 1942. A funeral procession lays a corpse to rest. An 11-year-old girl, Emilia, and her father, described as the hunter, watch on. The villagers lead a chant, and Emilia asks if she can watch what they're going to do next, but her father refuses. She goes to leave, but quickly hides and watches on anyway as the village chief pulls out a wooden stake, dips it in religious oil, and impales the corpse through the heart, driving the stake in further with a mallet. They stick garlic in the corpse's mouth and sprinkle it all over the body. Suddenly, the corpse convulses and lets out a demonic screech. They try to hold the body down as it grabs a man's throat, choking him. The hunter leaps into action, driving another stake through its face, and the body finally comes to its final rest. Emilia watches on, eyes wide. What did you think of Where Blood Lies? Yeah, I mean, this is definitely a compelling scene. I thought that the writing was good in general. It's, it helps set up a sense of mystery and, and intrigue and, and what the hell is going on here. And the fact that it's in 1942 is kind of just interesting to me as well. I'm like, are these, is this something to do with World War II? Were there Nazi vampires or is it just something that's kind of coming about from all of that? So yeah, I think this is an interesting setup for a show. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. I thought it was very cool, sort of gothic horror, almost grounded take on the vampire mythos. Uh, it really set up the ambiance really nicely. Just to your point, it is a really cool sequence, but in my mind, it didn't really give enough sense as to what the story is. Presumably, Emilia is our lead, but it's a, another case where I wasn't sure if, is the show going to be her as like an adult, and this was kind of her backstory or first exposure to the supernatural, or is the show actually taking place in 1942 with her as an 11-year-old girl in this world, in which case I don't even have enough information to really know what the show is going to be about, or at least on the story level. So overall, I thought it was really well written and it was very compelling and uh, very evocative. But on the story level, I'm just like missing what really the show is. So that was kind of my biggest like question mark. Yeah, absolutely. I had that same note. And I think that we've seen a lot of teasers that do the same thing. You know, they they have an interesting, compelling, self-contained scene, but by the end of it, it doesn't really contain some sort of thread to an ongoing story or a sense of momentum that pushes us into the rest of the script and makes us say, I need to read on and see what happens next. I agree in terms of the point of view. I'm, I'm not really sure yet whose story this is. Uh, it seems to suggest it's a little girl, Amelia, but like you said, are we going to jump ahead in time to when she's older or are we following her father, the hunter, and she's just sort of one of the characters in the ensemble. So all of that is still kind of up in the air. And I think there could be a little bit more in this teaser that uh, suggests what the show is and not just what the scene is. It also feels like this is the first scene of something or the first sequence of something that's going to lead to what the show really is about on a story level. Because if it's her learning, uh, not just awareness of the world, but specific skills or a specific reason for why she's doing a certain thing, that's a good backstory and a good sort of exposition. But it also does doesn't really inform what the plot is moving forward, which is kind of the thing that we're missing here. I think people should be aware that you don't have to just keep your teaser or your cold open to one scene. It can be another scene that comes right after this that then informs us of that content.
context, you know, we cut to her when she's 20 years old and now she's a vampire hunter and she's training. And then the big reveal at the end is that she has to take down her father who's been turned into a vampire now or whatever that happens to be, you know, that then suddenly gives us a sense of the show as well as having that really interesting world and that kind of compelling scene. The other thing I would say is that, you know, vampires have been done to death, if you'll excuse the pun. So I really want a sense from this teaser as well as to how all of this is going to be different from the other vampire shows that we've seen. To that point, I, I do feel it's slightly different here. Personally, I really liked the, I mean, I described it as grounded. I don't know if there's a better word to really say it, but it feels guttural. It feels like this is sort of like an old timey kind of like a realistic vampire that isn't about magic per se, but more so almost like a science like zombie, like kind of like where we've had like grounded zombie science-based zombies this kind of feels that way but it's hard to really convey that in such a short amount of time uh i personally liked it i, I just like the ambiance of it i really feel like the overall the prose i thought was well written it was effective succinct and it kind of painted that picture without being overbearing especially that first sequence i thought it was very sort of efficient at framing everything without going into unnecessary details yeah, for sure. No, I agree on all of that. I think that was very well handled. And, you know, you don't have to try to force something into there to be like, here's how it's going to be different. It's just, you know, you're always setting up, you're always playing with audience expectations. And all of the things that we see happen are things that are traditional parts of the vampire lore. And, you know, maybe it is just that this is a straight down the line, grounded gothic horror of uh, peasant villagers in 1942 trying to fight vampires or whatever. I don't know. I just felt like there was a little bit something extra you could have sprinkled in there, like the fact that after the vampire is killed, we hear, you know, the screen of other vampires off in the distance or you know just some kind of like looming threat of to like what's the ongoing story here i just kind of wanted a sense of what is this vampire story we're telling you know you can't just get by on saying it is a vampire story it needs to be a specific point of view specific context of a vampire story you know is it this girl's life living in transylvania where vampires still roam you know that kind of thing. Oh, absolutely i feel like we're, we're kind of still hitting the same point that at the end of it, we need to understand sort of the story and what the show really is about. I mean, I was going to pitch that we cut from the cops from the other teaser to this, and then that's the reason for the wall. All right, let's move on to our next teaser. And our last teaser for today is Nobody Nobody by Kobe Agumen. Uh, a graduation ceremony is occurring in a small town. A countdown timer appears on screen as a voiceover from Gabby starts to share all the things that she loves about someone named Hunter Dweck. We see through flashbacks all the different times that they've shared together, from playing lacrosse and watching movies, to Hunter helping Gabby out during a difficult time. We then return to the graduation ceremony in present day, as Gabby and the audience watches Hunter get his diploma. As the counter hits zero, Hunter is suddenly replaced by another student being handed his diploma. Gabby's voiceover reveals that Hunter Dweck doesn't exist, and Gabby and the audience processes this disappearance, confused. What were your thoughts on Nobody, Nobody? There's just a lot there to unpack. I thought that even though it seemed like on the story level, pretty straightforward kind of uh, story, it felt really busy as a teaser with a lot of narrative devices. Uh, you have the timer counting down to some event. You have that nonlinear narrative with flashback. You have the voiceover of someone, you know, describing as uh, like another lead character to us, the audience. And then on top of that, you have that final twist that makes kind of you question the entire teaser in of itself. So I'm still processing what that reveal is supposed to indicate and to whom, since again, the Gabby in the audience at the end isn't aware of, you know, Hunter not existing, but the Gabby in the voiceover is presumably she's addressing us, but I was unclear like who she's really talking to or for what purpose. So there's a lot there that I'm still piecing together, I guess. So that's kind of where I'm at. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think it's an intriguing setup for a story. And honestly, even a lot of the stuff that felt compelling to me about it was those little details of their life together and their friendship. And it did kind of feel like the setup to um, a rom-com movie or a Wes Anderson movie or something like that. And that was what I was finding interesting. But like you said, I think that there are perhaps one too many or two too many devices uh, going on here to the point where it dilutes the efficiency or the effectiveness of all of them. Uh, like you said, we got the timer, we have the sudden disappearance, we have voiceover that's contrasting with the experience of the character in the present day without giving us any answers on any of them. You know, these devices are essentially setups, and what we need is payoffs, especially in a teaser. And I don't think that we really get a true payoff for any of those devices. Absolutely. And I feel like you could easily tell the same story while simplifying it, right? You could just have the whole teaser essentially be a version of the flashback without indicating necessarily that's a flashback, but basically a multi sequence with the voiceover sharing with us all these amazing things that Hunter did with her and, and so forth. And the last scene is the reveal that Hunter doesn't exist. And we don't need to have this like bookend thing with a timer and the graduation ceremony leading up to this event. I feel like that really just complexifies the thing in a way that doesn't really bring anything to the table. It just confuses the reader by adding complexity because the concept that this person that we're spending time on as a flashback and voiceover doesn't exist, that idea in of itself is already a lot to process, much less, you know, sort of the flourishes of having a timer counting down to the moment that that person disappears, etc. So I feel like even if you want to have that moment where we do see the moment where Hunter disappears and it's sort of like a what if someone like, you know, wished uh, that Hunter, this evil person, the name Hunter never existed in the first place. And, you know, the moment that they clapped their hands was that moment. Whatever version of that, I feel like you can still have in the teaser, but the emotion of the teaser is really about, first and foremost, Gabby and how she feels about Hunter and the times that they feel together. And the emotional turmoil at the end, the thing that is going to tug at our heartstrings is, oh, actually, everything that I've experienced, all that is null and void because this person doesn't exist or it was all a dream or this person was removed from my life by an evil person whatever the case may be you have that emotional opportunity in the teaser to really heighten that and i just feel like it, it's sort of marred by all these narrative flourishes that don't really convey what the true emotion of that teaser is Absolutely. I think all that it really takes to make it compelling and to, to suddenly give it a story drive is for you to add something like a hundred drag doesn't exist and it's all my fault. Suddenly then it's like, well, now this character feels something happened. You know, she did something that erased him from existence. Or like you said, she wished that he was never born because they got into an argument or, you know, that he's her imaginary friend and that she's been leading this isolated life and never, you know, connecting with other people because of Hunter. And then when she turned 18, he was suddenly gone. And now she has to readjust to this new world and uh, see how to, you know, connect with people again. So whatever it is, you just need that little hint of it in there. It can't just be, he doesn't exist. It needs to be the seed of how is this then a story? rather than just kind of a, a reveal at the end. And in terms of the timer too, it kind of feels unnecessary. I think that we naturally have a timer, which is by the end of the teaser, something big is going to happen. You know, I, unless, you know, you need to pay off the timer if you're going to have literally like a ticking clock to something. And I don't think it's it's really necessary here. And just like you said, complicates it. I guess intrinsically, I get what they were trying to do, perhaps like the idea of this is counting down to the moment that this person disappears from the world. And this is obviously impacting Gabby's life in some way. But I feel like th this only works in drama shows with like an event or like some kind of supernatural element that the show intrinsically is about that event. And so maybe like in 10 minutes, 
many people across the world are going to disappear. And like, that's the thing of the teaser. And you don't really, and the whole teaser is building up to not knowing what the countdown means. But in this case, the countdown isn't even played as such because we go from the countdown to flashbacks, in which case the timer is irrelevant because there are flashbacks, uh, to back to present day with the timer. Uh, again, there's just a lot there that doesn't really service the emotional drive of that teaser. And I feel like that's perhaps for me, the takeaway of that teaser and, and what I would want to focus on is the emotion of it. Uh, earlier in this episode, we mentioned obviously like the, the story element, the story angle uh, here. I really feel like the emotion could be heightened in, in such a way that it actually simplifies the whole thing uh, because it's about girl meets boy, girl loses boy. Nobody remembers who boy is except girl. That's kind of the story. And I feel like you have a lot there that you can work with in the teaser without marring it in narrative devices. Any micro notes on the script? Uh, yeah, just a small typo on uh, page one where Hunter says, I definitely helped from the bunch. I think it's uh, misspelled. Definitely is misspelled. So just something to watch out for. All right. And to round it off, what would make us want to read on here for the rest of the script versus not? It's a lot of what we covered here, but just to summarize really briefly, I feel like part of it is bringing up the emotion of Gabby losing Hunter in a way that it simplifies the whole teaser without having to rely on a lot of these narrative devices. If you stick with maybe a flashback and a voiceover, as is, you already have plenty to work with to really help the audience understand this is the emotion that you're trying to convey. And also to next point, the story of it at the very end, especially clarifying that final line about why Hunter has disappeared would really help at least me understand what the show really is about. Yeah, that's it. I think for me, the big thing is the story hook as it pertains to what hooks us into the story. You know, it's the difference between do aliens exist and do aliens exist in my attic? You know, I think that those are, you know, right now we have this broad mystery of why doesn't Hunter exist when what we really want is why doesn't Hunter exist and why does it matter to this character and this story and how is that a show? So I think that's what will help us want to read on. Absolutely. And on that note, if you want to submit your own TV pilot teasers of eight pages or less, you can always do so at paperteam.co slash teaser, that's T-E-A-S-E-R, to get feedback potentially on air in our upcoming episodes. Just a reminder, too, we are planning on choosing a new mentee from amongst the Paper Tea submissions a little bit further down the road. We'll be announcing more about that in the upcoming episodes. But if you want to be considered for that, then you'll need to get your Paper Teas in. So please uh, send your stuff our way. And before we go, don't forget that we are on Patreon. So if you enjoyed this episode, please consider supporting Paper Team via our Patreon page at paperteam.co slash Patreon. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-M. You'll get access to our Paper Patron podcast, our cheat sheets. There's a dedicated Paper Tea slot just for our Patreon supporters. So get on this at paperteam.co slash Patreon, and we'll keep producing a great show for you every week. So thanks to our listeners for taking the time to tune in. You can get all the show notes and specifically the teasers for this episode at paperteam.co slash one. Eight zero. As always, I'm on Twitter at TV Calling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. If you have any thoughts, feedback, ideas for future episodes, you can always send them to ask at paperteam.co. And what are we doing next week? Next week, we are going to be sitting down with the chairs of the WGAW Committee of Black Writers. That's Michelle O'Moore, Hilliard Guess, and Bianca Sams to talk about the experience of being a black writer in Hollywood and the uh, systemic injustice and racism that they face. Excellent. Well, uh, it's going to be a very compelling episode. So tune in next week for that. All right. See you then.